Good morning, everybody. I'm Troy, and I'm a grateful recovering addict. I thought I would record this morning because I came up with a new one this weekend, and I've never never done it before, so uh, we'll see if we can't make this a good one. Um, preventative maintenance. What does preventative maintenance mean? Anybody? Do things like check your oil and change it. What was that? Say it again, and I'm going to get you next. Taking care before it's a problem. Checking the oil and changing it before you don't have to. There it is. There it is. So preventative maintenance is, is really simple. Preventative maintenance is I anticipate a problem. I'm going to do everything I can to fix it before it happens. So I'm going to tell you a little story. <clears throat> I talk about my property often. I got about an acre and a half of land. Uh, my wife and I bought it in tax distress. Obviously, it was, you know, fucked up, overgrown, bamboo, it, just a nightmare. Um, we've spent the past four years trying to clean it and clear it. Uh, my land was at one time uh, owned and, you know, I, I hate the word owned in this particular fashion, but occupied by the Susquehannock Indians. So the, the, the area that my house is built on is actually the center of a Susquehannock Indian uh, campground. If you stand at the top of the hill and you look down my field, now that we've cleared all the trees, I don't know how much you know about Native Americans, but the Susquehannock Indians had what they called tribal circles. So the first circle is the fire circle, the second circle is the market circle, the third circle is the restaurant or the cafe circle, the fourth circle is trading, and the fifth circle is living. That's where they lived. If you stand at the top of the hill and you look down, you can see all five of those concentric circles in stone in my, in my land. There's one rock right in the center of the, what would be the, the let's say 12 o'clock of the market circle. And it looks like a horse, like the shape of this rock looks like a horse and has a flat spot on top. And I had a historian come to my house to figure out how much of this was real because I didn't want to fuck anything up. That's, you know, I didn't want to disturb a naturally occurring thing. Um, and he walked up and when he saw that rock, he was like, you realize this, this rock, if you could move it, it's probably worth over a million dollars. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that's what they called an, uh, an arrowhead station. What it is, it's set up, has a flat top and a seat, and it's made to chip arrowheads. That's what happened there. That rock has been there for thousands of years. As I start to uncover these rocks, I see more and more and more stuff, and I've found arrowheads, and I've found, uh, I've found a, a hatchet blade about that big. All of these things I find as I'm clearing this, this property. The past couple weeks, we've had a couple storms, some wind storms that were pretty big. If you're, familiar, if you're at all familiar with the hills of Pennsylvania, I live on a mountain, there's a plant called kudzu. You guys know what that is? <clears throat> kudzu is an ivy. It is a very invasive plant. And what it does is its single, single stalk will run to the top of a tree, and then it will basically overtake every branch and grow new leaves. So it, as it does that, it kills the tree that it's living on. It's a parasitic uh, plant. So it slowly starts to kill this tree. Well, I told you all that shit so I could tell you the next part. So a couple weeks ago, we're down in the yard and we're working on stuff. And I found this one tree that was obviously dead. And it was covered in kudzu. And I noticed the stump was here, but the tree was touching the ground over here. So I'm looking at it. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense at all. And I touched it and it went like this. And I'm talking about a 65-foot dead tree. And I realized the only reason it was standing was it was hung up in kudzu. 
So it's hanging from ivy with literally, as I touch the bottom, I could swing it. Thing probably weighs 600 pounds. I could swing it. It's hanging from the kudzu. We got windstorms coming. I said to my wife, I was like, you know that one big-ass tree down there that's dead, that's already fallen, is going to drop one of these mornings. And uh, she was like, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. I was showing some of you guys, somebody this morning, uh, video footage of my next-door neighbor. My next-door neighbor raised goats. They have uh, two fainting goats named Tango and Cash. And all I got to do is walk in the backyard and go, and they fucking drop. It's hysterical. Oh, it is so fucking funny, man. Those things drop. And my cat, my cat will run the fence line and stop and just bark, you know, arc at them one time and they drop. It's hysterical. But there's a pygmy goat, too, about the size of a chihuahua. And this thing has bigger balls than all of us put together. That thing will buck. It, it, it'll fight. It, it'll do everything. Anyway, the tree in question is leaning over the goat pen. If the wind hit, it was going to pull that tree down, and it was going to land on that goat pen. It would remove the fence. It would break their housing. They would be running free somewhere in my neighborhood if it happened. If it fell this way, it was going to hit the neighbor's garage. Maybe not bad. It might have just skipped it on the way down, but it's going to fuck up the siding. It's going to fuck up the drip edge. It's going to fuck up the roof. So we're down there looking at it, and I was like, you know, the only thing holding that is kudzu up there. If we just get the lean right, it won't matter where the wind blows or what happens. So I took a regular piece of, you know, regular hemp rope, put a fucking dumbbell on the end of it, threw it up into the tree, pulled it around, tied a slip knot on it, pulled it tight, and then I wrapped it around another tree this way. So when it falls, if it falls, it can only fall this way. Because I got tension on it hard. If anything happens, it's going to fall this way. That was a couple days ago. Yesterday morning, when we had that bad wind, it was about, probably about 3 in the morning yesterday, the wind picked up, fucking 45, 50-mile-an-hour winds. I felt the house shake. Boom. And I was like, that was it. It went down. So when the wind died, we walked down the hill, we went and looked, and it landed on an assortment of rocks that were, again, part of this tribal circle. When it hit them, it exploded into manageable pieces. I went down there, 60-foot tree. I didn't even have to start a chainsaw. All I had to do was pick up broken pieces of wood. I pulled it right so that when it fell, it would land in the right place, preventative maintenance. I had all my shit ready to cut that tree up, prepared, because I knew when it fell, it was going to be a problem in my backyard, preventative maintenance. I had a rope tied to it, pulling taut, anticipating the problem ahead of time, preventative maintenance. I made sure that the neighbor knew that this was happening so his goats would be safe and put in the back end of the little goat barn, preventative maintenance. I made sure his garage was safe, preventative maintenance. And when I got down there, I was rewarded with no labor. I didn't have to fucking cut up a thing. All I had to do was move it. And I made a phone call, and there's a guy with a truck coming who's going to move it up the hill because I ain't carrying fucking wood Then I'm not burning. If you're burning it, you're carrying it. So, but I arranged that. All that happened. Preventative maintenance. Had I not tied that tree up, that windstorm was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. I saw the weather report. I was completely aware. If I hadn't have gone down there and tied that tree up, it would have fell on that goat pen. It might have hurt those goats. Then I got a problem. Now I got a pissed off neighbor. You fuck up a neighbor's pet? 
I didn't have to worry about that. I did preventative maintenance. Now, why is that relative to recovery? Why am I talking about this? You want to be ready before it comes. Um, we, we need to do preventative maintenance on ourselves to make sure that like, when we get out there, you know, we, we don't pick up again. Exactly, cor exactly correct. Exactly correct. Who thinks a storm's coming when you get out of here? You're goddamn right it is. Tracy. Yeah, it's like you have an issue with criminal behavior, like selling drugs and like say you like you on maintenance or something, you can choose to get like sublocated or vivitrol or something, you know what I mean? Mm hmm So I get out, I'm 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 in my normal life, I'm going to meetings, I've developed some sort of, you know, camaraderie with some home group members, I have some friends, some sober support. I get a message on Facebook, Troy, there's gonna be a concert on this date at this location. What does preventative maintenance look like for me right then? Prepare yourself with certain shirts and items to let people know to be aware that you're not smoking or getting high. One, I want my drip to reflect. I want my drip to reflect that I'm in recovery. I don't want to walk in there with a fucking shirt covered in pot leaves and a, and a necklace that's got a vial that says LSD on it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put myself in a bad place. That's exactly what I'm looking for. You want preventative maintenance? Watch this. Hey, man, I got a concert to go to on Thursday the 14th. Can you go with me? Absolutely. I'll pay your way. Absolutely. That's preventative maintenance because I know we have a different drug of choice. I like to shoot dope. I like to snort cocaine. I like to freebase. He likes to drink. I'm not going to let him drink, and he's not going to let me go to the ghetto. I call the ghetto is what I talk about. When I, when you, if you've ever been to a concert, you know what I mean. <laughs> that area between the women's room and the men's room, that's the ghetto. Because if you've ever been to a concert and didn't walk into somebody snorting coke in the bathroom, it was a terrible show. Understand that you make the decision on what you're going to let happen next with your preventative maintenance. If you got to go to a meeting out of town and you're not going to know anybody, go early. Go early. Introduce yourself to somebody. If you're going to be late, don't go in. Don't go in. Sit in the parking lot and wait till they break and then go get your meeting. But don't disturb everybody else because you were late. Figure out what your preventative maintenance is. If you have to get gas at Sheets today, if there's nowhere for you to stop and get gas except for Sheets, is there a beer cave in that Sheets? So how do you get in there and pay for your gas clean? How do you do it? Pay at the pump. Ha! Pay at the pump. Don't go in. Don't go in. Joe Frazier said it best. If you're tired of getting your ass kicked, stop getting in the fucking ring. If you stop getting in the ring, it can't kick your ass anymore. The other thing you can do is you can get out of your car, say the pay at the pump is broken. It says a little taped on there, pay, please pay inside. Here's what you do. Hey, man, can you just walk, walk in with me? I, I have a drinking problem, and I'd really rather not be alone next to all that fucking beer. Guess who's going to tell you no? Nobody. Nobody. In fact... Even us, even active addicts are going to understand that. And we're going to be like, I got you, brother. I got you. And then as they're walking out, we're going to steal a fucking fireball and drop it in our pocket and roll it out the door. But whatever we do is our business. How we anticipate the problems that we're going to face, that's preventative maintenance. 
Anticipate what you got going on. Who's got who's got a, who's got a drawer that might have drugs in it at home? You don't even have to. You don't have to raise your hand. I just want you to think about it. The idea of I might have alcohol stashed in my shed. I might have a bag of dope stashed in my sock drawer. Preventative maintenance. How do we do it? What does preventative maintenance look like there? Call somebody and, and ask them to get rid of that stuff before you come home. Or bring somebody with you. Bring somebody with you who will hold you accountable. And I say it often that my thing about the drug of choice, your sober support group should have a different drug of choice than you, your primary. Because if you guys are sharing the same drug of choice, you're going to share the same triggers, the same temptations, and the same weak will. Because when you get out there and you're standing, if you're trying to, a concert's a great example because the distance between the concert floor and the smoking lounge, you're going to pass a bar. You're going to. And who thinks they can walk past a bar, smell liquor, and not be triggered? But if you got somebody with you who doesn't drink like me, somebody who likes to shoot dope and smoke coke, I'm, I'm going to smell it. I'm going to be like, oh, shit, that's going to get him. That's going to get him. And then I'm going to hang close to you. I'm going to hang close to you. And then when we round the corner, we go to the smoking lounge. As soon as we walk out the door and we smell weed, you're going to hang close to me. And then when you see me go into the bathroom and I'm not, I don't have to piss, <laughs> you're going to call me out on it. Find somebody who's willing to tell you the truth. Find somebody who's not afraid of the repercussions of calling you out on your shit. If you can't let somebody call you out on your shit, you can never call yourself out on it, ever. I spent 25 years out there using drugs and manipulating people. It all started with manipulating people. Before anything else, I learned to manipulate motherfuckers. And once I had that skill... I could have anything I wanted. I will take your money, your car, your fucking girl, anything. And if you didn't like it, then we're just going to fight. One of, us, one of us is picking up a charge, the other one's going to the hospital. That's the way it's going to happen. I don't have to live that way anymore because I have done enough preventative maintenance to know that I do not ever have to be faced with those decisions, ever. If you find yourself on the way to somewhere that there's a possibility of relapse or possibility of mental strain or the possibility of a trigger, your preventative maintenance is very simply this. Call somebody. If you can't get a hold of them, say it again. Don't go. Don't go. And in early recovery, that particular sentence is going to be more applicable than not. Because me going to point A, I got to pass how many bars? I got to pass how many around the way fucking spots? I got to pass how many three-quarter open windows that I know business is happening out of. If I'm passing those windows and I'm aware of it and I'm by myself, I'm setting myself up for miserable, miserable triggers. But if I have somebody with me, guess what? We're going to laugh about that shit. Anybody ever seen a drug deal happen off in the distance by themselves? And as you witness it, there's both. you both want in. You want to make the money that motherfucker's making. You want to make sure that you're getting yours. Like, all that happens. But when you're with somebody else, when you're with somebody else, it don't matter. You go like this. <laughs> Check it out. Check it out. Look. There's a hand-to-hand right there. And then you laugh about it for just a split second because you know exactly what you just saw. Preventative maintenance is you've got somebody with you who's willing to join you in the moment of re- recognizing that that is the end of your, that's the end of your story. Drug addiction is the only disease in the world that you don't get to pick how it ends you only get to pick how it started you got to choose how your disease 
the symptoms of your disease started. But you don't get to choose how it ends. All them candles that were up there, they didn't get to choose how it ended. Any of us who have sat next to a loved one and lost them, they didn't get to choose how it ended. But it sure did change how it's going to end for me. I'll tell you the truth. Addiction ran in my family till it ran into me. And I'll do everything I can to stop that shit. The easiest way for me to do, how do I do preventative maintenance for my children? Education. Educate them. If you want your children to understand addiction, educate them on drugs. Don't sit around and be like, oh, when I shoot heroin, I feel like I'm covered in velvet and rose petals. That is not going to get you where you think you're going to go. All you got to do is look them in the face and say, you know how we can't afford this? <laughs> it's because daddy spent all his money 20 years ago. I made bad decisions, ruined my credit. The reason I drive used cars is because my credit's fucked. My credit was fucked, and then the seven years happened, and I looked for it to get unfucked, and I had just fucked it over again. My criminal behaviors didn't go away when my addiction slowed down. My drug use stopped. But my criminal behaviors are still there because some of them were survival skills for me. And I'll never, ever criticize you for your survival skills. We developed what we developed when we were out there the fucking hard way. There was never a time as a young man that I thought I had the capability of robbing another man. But in active addiction, I did it all the fucking time. It became how I made money. I had to go to work. That ain't work. That ain't work. And the uncomfortable part is it became a survival skill for me, so now I can't talk myself out of it being okay. But I have to understand that my impulsive behaviors and my criminal thinking are what consistently lead me back to drugs and alcohol. Alcohol is not my twist. I have never been a drinker. I was involved in a car accident when I was 14 years old where the person my brother was driving and the person he hit died. I had to, I had to be part of a... Uh, a manslaughter with a motor vehicle case at 14. And that gave me some PTSD around alcohol. And I've never been a drinker. It's just not my twist. Have I been drunk? Yep. How many times did I find a heroin dealer when I was drunk? Every fucking time. Every time. Because it wasn't what I wanted. And it didn't get me where I wanted to go. And until I was understanding of the fact that I didn't really want to go there anymore, I just didn't know anything different. We talked about chaos and shit the other day on Thursday. Talked about it with you. In our active addiction, 80% of our time was spent in chaos. Going to buy drugs was chaotic. Scrambling for money, chaotic. Using in an alley in the front seat of your car, parked behind a dumpster, chaotic. Trying to figure out if this last $3 piece in my pocket was going to go to a whore or if I was going to smoke it, chaotic. All of those moments were chaos. Going to buy, I mean, there's a comedian does a, a thing on courage and, and recovery. Courage and, courage and active addiction is walking down an alley at two in the morning with a fucking thousand dollars in your hand and a guy you've never met in your life. That's what courage is in active addiction. Courage and active recovery is going to fucking to the rib place wearing a white t shirt and thinking you're going to get out of there without a stain. So it's real different. The chaos is real different, but it still exists. But if I understand that I lived my life in chaos, in active addiction, in recovery, life is going to feel a little bit boring because I'm removing so much chaos from it.
So how do I keep myself even keel? Preventative maintenance. When I need chaos, I invite it into my life. You ever heard of the game Perfection? You turn like, you put the pieces that, you want chaos? Play Perfection. Play by your fucking self. Play with somebody else. I don't care. Sit at a table with the game Perfection and you will give yourself some chaos. And you'll be comfortable because, oh, I like this. I'm very comfortable where shit's crazy. Play Jenga. That's one of my favorites. The minute you start the game, everybody's anxiety level goes up. Because we're all waiting for it to fall. Everybody wants to hear it fall. We're inviting chaos into our world. If you had a, had a boring recovery, if you've been in recovery, you dealt with a relapse, and you let yourself get bored, you didn't put the chaos back. We're fucked up, and we need problems sometimes just to stay even. I need a little chaos. I had three daughters. I gave myself fucking chaos. No matter how you look at it. But invite chaos into your world. Find board games. Um, fucking pinochle. If you, I mean, we don't play cards in here, but when you get home, get a group of people together. Y'all ever, you ever play pinochle? Yeah. Fucking chaos. You ever play fucking gin for fucking cigarettes? Chaos. But you can find a way to bring chaos into your day so you all of a sudden don't feel like something's missing. And then the moment where you realize, oh, I'm actually doing okay, now go provide some tranquility for somebody else and start getting used to that. Yesterday or Thursday, I said, how are you doing today? And your answer was tranquilo. That brought me so much joy. I don't think you know what that did to me because I asked you how you were and your response was, I'm peaceful. You didn't say I'm fine. You didn't say I'm fucked up. You said I'm peaceful. I don't know how you got there. But preventative maintenance is what is going to keep you there. So find tranquility in yourself. Understand that the easiest way for you to provide preventative maintenance for yourself is to educate yourself and keep somebody with you who will hold you accountable. Somebody strong enough to tell you what you don't want to hear. And if they are strong enough to tell you what you don't want to hear, thank them for it every time. Don't get mad at them. Let them know that you are thankful that they have enough balls to tell you what you're doing wrong. Because I don't know about y'all, but 80% of my enabling wasn't somebody handing me money. It was nobody telling me what I was doing was wrong. And if I start developing my own ideas of good, bad, right, wrong, I'm going to fuck it up every time. So, preventative maintenance. Figure out what that means. What's it look like? What's it going to feel like when you get out there? Who are the people you're going to rely on? They might be sitting at your table right now. Already happening. That's what I like to see. And then when you guys move on to your next level of care, those friendships channel down and get even stronger. I know there was, there's two clients that left here right before you were here, so it was almost three years, not quite three years. Two clients left a day apart, went to the same recovery house, ended up going to the same IOP, and uh, four months ago they bought a house together. Um, and when they signed the uh, settlement agreement, the one of the, the 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 younger of the two clients took that piece of paper to child services and was awarded custody of his daughter again. So two and a half years of recovery, he was able to go in and buy a house. Now, these two guys have decided they're going to buy this house, live in it, fix it up, and then guess what? They're going to split it. They're going to fucking flip it and split it, and they're going to do it again.
Those guys have developed a relationship of preventative maintenance. They're there for each other. They watch out for each other. They live together, so they hold each other accountable all the time. And they have goals that parallel, that move forward together. Their relationship is probably stronger than a husband and wife relationship could ever be. Because unless you've been through your active addiction with your spouse, there's going to come a point where the two of you aren't going to understand each other. My wife's a normal person. She doesn't have a habit. She's got some impulsive behaviors. Thank God. Right? I have nothing to complain about. Um, but I know that her understanding the depth of my addiction is a challenge for her. I need to make it my business to educate her so she understands what it feels like. The addiction description I gave to her, and feel free to use this if it works for you. We were talking about addiction one day, and she said this, word, this sentence to me. We've all heard it. Why didn't you just stop? Why didn't you just stop? Well, honey, let me explain that to you. At, the, at that instant, we pulled through the drive-thru of a McDonald's. And I ordered food. And I put it in between us, and we started driving away. She reached for the bag. I said, stop. I put my hand on the bag. I said, what are you getting? She said, French fries. I said, I got two for ones in here. Give me $3, I'll give you two of them. She said, what? I said, are you willing to give me $3 for two of these French fries? She said, no. I took the thing of French fries, I threw them out the moving car window. I continued. She said, what the fuck did you do that for? I turned, I looked at her, I said, are you willing to get out of this car and dance with them trucks to get them French fries? She said, no. I said, I am. She said, hmm. I said, you got to understand that if it's something we want, we will die to get it. We will die to get it. And if we don't, we might die after we get it. But we're willing to do things that nobody's willing to do to get what we want. She would be, have been fine with me going to another drive-thru and pulling in and getting another order of french fries, but I wanted the french fries that were on the road. Who's willing to dance with a truck for a french fry? Then you understand addiction. So try to explain it to somebody else. Try to educate somebody who doesn't know what it is. And tomorrow we're going to do the fentanyl numbers. I'm not going to do that today because I'm out of time. But tomorrow we're going to talk about the fentanyl numbers in the United States of America. You've heard it so many times. How many people have died in 2022 of fentanyl? 158,000. 158,000 people died in 2022 of overdoses from fentanyl. And just for a point of reference, in 2018, 38,000 died. Figure that out. 38,000 in 2018, 2023, 158,000. You tell me what's, what's happening here. It's a fucking pandemic. The CDC last year, at the end of the year, they pulled the pandemic classification off of COVID and they put it on fentanyl. Fentanyl is the largest killer that's ever, ever happened here in the United States of America. But between the ages of 18 and 45, this year, somebody dies every seven minutes. Every seven minutes, somebody dies of a fucking fentanyl overdose. And that's not counting people that died off a of prescription fentanyl. That's not counting. And guess what? That number is bigger than suicide, car accidents, and COVID combined. Suicide, COVID, and car accidents combined haven't killed as many people 
as fucking fentanyl did last year. Think about that a minute. And that brings me to my favorite part of every single day. The place where I get to make a promise that I'm sure I can keep. I promise you that if you practice these three things in everything you do, your recovery will be easier. It'll be joyful. If, if somebody ever tells you their recovery was easy and a piece of cake, they're either... Dirty or full of shit! 100% true. If somebody tells you their recovery was easy, it was you know, a piece of cake, they, they do it again. They're lying to you. They're either not clean or they're not in recovery. They might be dry, but they're not in recovery. But if you practice these three things, one, be grateful for everything that's happened to you. Be grateful for all the negative shit that you've been through. Be grateful for all the positive things that you've been through. And be grateful for all the joyous shit that you've got coming. When you interact with somebody else, be kind to them. Because the world respects kindness. And it rejects evil. If you act like an asshole to people, people will act like an asshole to you. If you don't believe me, I say it all the time, act like an asshole to the cashier at Walmart. Watch how quick you forget a bag. You'll get home, you got no fucking eggs, no broccoli, and no cat litter. The three things that were on the list that you were supposed to get. You will go home without them, and the cashier will laugh as she puts them back. You'll never make it through a traffic jam by blowing your horn and giving people the finger. You'll only make it through by opening up the lane and letting people in. And then when you walk into a place that feels wrong, before you bail on the place, change it. Before you decide the people there aren't for you, change them. Act differently. Be joyful where there's nobody joyful. Be happy where nobody's happy. Be love where there is no love. And then I am... For everything I got, everything I lost, everything I stole, everything I pawned, everything I've been through, and everything I never have to fucking go through again, I will be grateful. For every interaction I have with another human being or living creature on this plane of existence, whether they're covered in fur, feathers, fins, flesh, or foliage, I will be kind. And when I walk in a room, it smells like a trap house I wish I never went into the first time. Before I leave scared, I'll change that motherfucker. Before I go, I'll be love where there is none. Who's happy they're clean today? Who's going to make it five minutes? Who's going for five more? Who's going to stay clean right now? How about now? do some real treatment work today who feels the spirit in here today what are we doing here what are we doing one more time for Favo across the street so they never forget how hard we work what are we doing I'm sure I'm a grateful recovering addict thanks for letting me share yeah yeah